Alright, welcome to Something About Farming. We're sitting over here at El Matador's house and uh, they just cooked us some real damn fine burgers. They, I mean, they were subpar to mine, but <laughs> next time we had a uh, hazard. we didn't have any sheep available. <laughs> <laughs> no mutton here. <laughs> next time we have a rendezvous, I'm going to bring everybody some meat. So, uh, we're going to talk about El Matador's flying career. He's an ag pilot, and we've been talking about him for a while. So, uh, been real interested to get him in. I've got some TikTok videos of him flying over. They're just viral as shit. <laughs> I've been stealing professional. Ten views. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what's crazy? I, I, what's the most views you got off one of those? Six thousand something. That's a That's a pedestrian effort. So I hosted uh, my day in Texas Ag. Have y'all seen them on Facebook? Uh. Uh-uh. What are y'all doing with those? I ain't got a Facebook. I don't want to go. I made a TikTok one time. <laughs> so anyway, I shared a, I shared a video, and I can show y'all. And in a week's, well, actually, it wasn't a week's time. It was less than that because I hosted for one week, and then they go to they they. The cool thing about it is it goes all over the state. Anybody in Texas, you, you, anybody who wants to feature, they they want to know about tech, the the voices of Texas agriculture, basically. And it, uh, it it tries to promote it to people that don't necessarily get to see what we see every day. You know, I mean, I, I man, I'm a fifth generation yep. farmer. I grew up doing this. That's all I've ever done. My granddaddy, my great granddaddy. You know, my great great granddaddy moved out here from Paris, Texas. They farmed cotton over there. Bought up a bunch of land in the in the big rush in Spring Lake. That's where they started. I mean, it's it's when it's in your blood, it's in your blood. You know, and there's there's a deal in agriculture, but we see a lot of stuff. It's just like driving down the road. We see a lot of stuff that a lot of people don't. You, you drive down the road around here, everybody waves at each other. If you don't, you get insulted. You're like, well, what the hell? You know, that's yeah, a problem. The, yeah. You can't you know, the quick stuff. You, know? you go, yeah, exactly. And you, you, but you go up like north. I went to St. Louis, Missouri, and, uh, you know, you get up there and you wave at somebody and they think you're trying to do something to them. You know, they, they get all offended about that stuff. And it's, the culture is different. You know, they, there was a uh, statistic all in, uh, Oh, what's a movie? Farmland or whatever. But you know, the average American is three generations removed from the farm. Yeah, that's three three generations. That that means their dad and their granddad and their granddad didn't farm. Yeah, or their great granddad. So they're the third generation. That's how. Yeah, that's crazy. That's they're, so they're they're three generations removed from agriculture. So you shared the video, I guess. And or? so I, so anyway, so I was hosting this. On, on, a, on a site that promotes Texas agriculture, and I showed a video, and there was a video of me spraying last year. I sprayed some Pima cotton. And the cool thing about this video is there's two sets of power lines. In, in our business, I try not to go under power lines if I don't have to. But there's a lot of times it's just a lot safer. You know, it's in my field, it's a, uh, it's a lot of on-the-fly decision-making. You make the wrong decision, unfortunately, a lot of guys die. Way better pilots than I'll ever be. I mean, they, there's guys, you know, I, I've, I've been in the business now since 2015, and um, I've been a pilot in the business. This is the, I'm coming up on the end of my fourth season. And, um, you know, I, I've had, you know, three good, good guys that I knew personally, and, and one of them was a really good friend of mine that I met in flight school. Um, or, or while I was at flight school, he wasn't in flight school. He's already a pilot, but uh, that, that had died. And uh, well, you know, most pilots that you know crash, 
their experience. They just yeah. Get I mean, it, well, it's like, man, it, you know that, that's the crazy thing. Um, the the organi- organization that we have, the NAAA, uh, the National Agricultural Aviation Association, they. Uh, they have a whole bunch of education part. Like we have the PASS program that we all go through every year. It's uh, not all, but everybody that, most everybody goes through. You get insurance discounts to it, but a lot of guys like me and a lot of other guys, we like to go because you can hear, you can hear stories that can, can save your life. You know, like my dad, when I was growing up, dad always told me, and I, and I was just, I was a hard-headed kid, you know, and I, it just, we all, yeah, I, I think. I it, think everybody it's, at this it's table added, was a little. I, I'll tell you, it's it's. it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> oh. But it's it's an agricultural thing. Over here. He was. I was just making mild. <laughs> but it, it's 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 a farming thing. I, it's got to be. It's a farming and ranching. And it's an agriculture thing, because we don't have people to take care of us. It's either you do it, or you don't. You're Trump's out. Don't take care of us. Yeah. Well, I. If I if I can keep believing that politicians are going to stick a fork up my ass and keep me paying bills and all that, I, yeah, well, I'm a long way from you know from relying on them. But the point being is it, it's an attitude. Whereas you know, like my brother-in-law, I love him. He's a great guy, professional golfer. Um, you know, he went on the nationwide tours right below the PGA Tour. He played professional golfer. No, it ain't Tiger Woods. No, no. <laughs> hey, Tiger, come tell him what you did. Hey, scoop. <laughs> but, you know, he, um, <clears throat> but he, it, the littlest things, like, so before he became my brother-in-law, he was just, when I, when my, my dad quit farming and we moved to Lubbock, he, um, we moved into Lubbock my, uh, I guess that'd been my junior year of high school. They lived next door and he was my golf coach. We, I, I took a bunch of lessons all through high school too, you know, just to keep improving my game. And uh, but he borrowed a uh, just a, a burner, you know, for like a, if you're frying turkeys or whatever, you know, just the propane burner. Well, it had a hole in the line and it caught the line on fire. wasn't no big deal, but they freaked out. And my dad just happened to be outside when this is going off, and they're sitting there trying to figure out how to put the fire out. And dad just went over there and turned the propane bottle off. I don't mean that as an insult, but it's just. When you grow up doing what yeah, we do, you yeah. either you either fix it because most of the time it's going to cost too much to fix, or you're gonna it's going to take too long to fix for somebody else to do it. You just learn how to do it. You don't have to know how. You well, it's it's or not even the know how. It's try. the it, well, the, yeah, that. But it's it's a lot of knuckle the culture. Down, buckle down. It's, do it, yeah, do it's the culture. It. You're an independent person. I don't, man. I I go to people to fix stuff for me as a last resort of, of what that's just the way I was raised like that four wheeler sitting outside man I ain't gonna I mean hey it's work now but the point being well I mean Wade needed to put a chimney in his house and he just punched out the glass window <laughs> yeah. modern modern solutions welfare Wade come on <laughs> but the point being okay so I, we, we've been chasing rabbits but so I shared this video and it's just an independent nature but uh, but so we, we go through these, like my dad was telling me, is you learn lessons. And there, he said, son, there are lessons that I will tell you, but you're just going to have to learn the hard way. He said, you're like me. He said, I can tell you till I'm blue in the face, but you're just like money, handling money. Said, son, you need to save your money, save your money. What do I do? I blow everything I got, and that's why I'm in the situations that I'm in. 
and we got on the Dave Ramsey program. <laughs> anyway, and uh, and you can say that. You don't have to edit that out because I think he would love to know oh, yeah. that I'm stupid with money and, and he, he's helping fix my stupidity. <laughs> um, thank you, Dave. Dave. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. I've been listening to that guy since I was 12 years old. That's all I can listen to, AM radio. AM radio. I couldn't have a choice. On a 4650, that's all I had, man. That's what was you on know, seven, hey, hey, it was, 710. Yep. Breaking you know? El Matador, he'll be snapping us. He's got a hammock strung up. Strung up under his wing of his five oh two listening to Pratt on Texas. He's a local Texan, man. I, this I like guy gets with it. He's a real man. I, li- I listen to talk radio all day long, even in the airplane. But I guess the point being is we, we go through this program and there's a lot of stuff that you have to learn the hard way and there's a lot of stuff that you don't. You know, and I'm I thought I I'll, I'll be honest. I my viewpoint has changed since I've gotten this business, but I started and as I flew, I never, I never thought, I, I don't think that it was a cockiness, but the, the guys that are in our industry are type A personalities. Mm-hmm. We are just the, the uh, you go to, you go to, a, you know, it's kind of like the old joke, what do they, uh, what do they used to say? If you, uh, how do you know somebody's whatever they are? Oh, don't worry, they'll tell you. That's <laughs> Agpods. I love every one of them. They're the greatest guys, but everyone, it's, it's just, a, it's a jock mentality, man. A, a, not, not a, like an immature mentality, but it's a competitive. Everybody wants to be the best. Yeah. But that, that's kind of like life. I've always thought that too. In anything I do, I just want to be the best at it. In yeah. any on the farm, I wanted to learn how to run everything. If it can run on a farm and it can work, I want to know how to work it, fix it, repair it, all that. And same with ag pilot. Most ag pilots that I know are like that. So it kind of, in a hard-headed way, there's a lot of guys like me that get in the business and don't always listen to what everybody has to say, and you kind of just try to figure it out on your own. And then, uh, you know, I was kind of thrown a little bit to the wolves my first season, too. You know, the operator I went to work for, he was desperate, and that's what got me the job. And I, I was a farm kid, and so he said that was the greatest thing. He didn't have to teach me how to spray. He didn't have to teach me about chemicals. He had to teach me how to fly an airplane and spray out of an airplane. So before that, you had no So before that, I'd never, experience I'd, in flying. I, in flying. I, there was a, a farmer down the road um, from where I grew up, and he took me up a few times, and I was hooked. I just loved it. I loved it, man. I, that's cool. You know, it... Uh, I wanted to go, um, I, when I graduated high school there, you know, when I was a young kid, I said, when I graduated high school, there's three things I want to do. I want to be a dad. <laughs> I don't know, that's a weird one, but and I want to I wanna fly jets for the Marine Corps and fly, mm-hmm. off, fly off carriers, and I want to farm. Annapolis wouldn't take me. My grade was shitty, and uh, the Air Force Academy wouldn't take me either. My grades were shitty. You had to have 4.0, <laughs> and you had to get your congressman, and the, I didn't realize that these congressional districts are this big, and there's like thousand people fighting for one recommendation letter and it wasn't me because i didn't really apply myself like i thought i could i just kind of thought it would be handed to me and that was lesson number one in life nobody hands you anything worthwhile never there's nothing you've ever been handed in your life worthwhile that was easy and that i don't care you can't convince me otherwise my dad's gave me all the knowledge in the world but anything that he gave me i didn't appreciate it the same way that i had to when i have to get it myself so I got into this business, and uh, we're, we're still on the – I know it sounds like we're going a long way around to get to where it was. Well, I mean, we're We're all podcast. being so quiet because this is some high-power horsepower shit, so man. We're, this is good stuff but, you need to listen to. We're talking about wires here. So I was that guy – you know, my second season, my first season went off without a hitch. I, I, I did something that a lot of guys in the business haven't done, and it wasn't a good thing, but it's what happened. It was the situation – so the guy I went to work for was desperate. So he gave me a chance. And then 
I'm always the guy that when somebody gives me a chance to shine, I'm going to do my best to shine. You know, I just – coach calls your name in the bottom of the ninth whether you've ever hit a ball or not. If he calls your name, what are you going to say? Hey, coach, get somebody else? Hell no. I'm going to go out there and swing for the fences whether I get enough, it or not. Just smart enough to know that when people are going out on a limb for you, you need yeah, to you, the most you, of it. Yeah, if somebody gives yeah. you an opportunity, what are you going to say? I just don't think I'm ready for this. And I, I've known a few people like that, but I'm not that guy. So I might go out and get all the hell. But if somebody gives me an opportunity, I'm swinging I for the fences. Say no shit. Yeah. yeah so I mean, <laughs> it's just that's just it, I, I think it. I honestly think it's an agriculture mentality. How many of you guys have turned down good opportunities because you just didn't think you were ready? Dad, your dad said, "Hey, you think you can drive this truck? Hell yeah, Dad! Get the hell out of the cab! Get out of here! I can do it." You know, I mean, that's just. And, and what do you do? You know, yeah. your first time running a cotton stripper. Yeah. Hey, first time yeah. running a cotton stripper <laughs> yeah. by yourself at seven years old. What are you back there freaking cleaning out the saws? Because you thought that thing would haul ass. Hell no. Yep. <laughs> but so I went to this guy, and he had he he hired another guy that had three years of experience. He's a good guy, but uh, the things just didn't work out between him and my boss, and. Uh, so I, I went straight from a uh, the only air tractor 250 radio ever made, and I, I flew it, and did a bunch of water, and then I went down, you know, just getting used to the light bar and the guidance and how high you got to be, and just trying to build your skill level because it's all based on hours, you know. And uh, then I went down to South Texas and, and or Central Texas to Cameron, Texas, and helped a buddy of mine uh, who's became friends afterwards, and that was the first paying loads I did putting Afligard on corn for aflatoxin. Then I come back, and he heard that I'd done a good job, so he stuck me in a turbine. So we're talking, I mean, three and a half, four months into my first season, I'm in a turbine. A lot of guys don't get that opportunity. But what did I do? I ran with it. I said, hell yeah. So I get in this 402. I start working. I just do every day I challenge myself because I'm just it's, – it's a, it's a competitive nature. But every day I challenge myself, and I kind of – I took too many leaps and bounds in a way because I always was of the opinion, I know what the machine can do. And I had a mentor that told me, you take, you know, your machine can put out 100%, you can put out 100%, but what you do is you take 90% of what the airplane can do and 90% of your skill level, put them together, and you have you have 20% safety margin. So, you know, 180 out of 200%. So every day, I just told myself, there was times when it'd get kind of scary, you'd do something that you hadn't done, like, turning downwind in West Texas when it's hot outside and the airplane just falls out of the sky as you're in the turn. It's a sinking feeling. It's going to catch itself at the bottom of the turn. But when you're a rookie and you don't understand what's going on, you're flying by the seat of your pants just hoping not to die. But what I always told myself is I've seen other people do this. Other people can do this with the airplane so I can do it with the airplane, which is not the greatest mentality to have in a situation like that. But it's just the the that's the competitiveness in it's me. It's been Somebody, done before. It's been done before. I'm not I'm not Orville Wright. I'm not discovering flight. No, but you're level headed. You can you can talk about. You no, know, I'm, I'm opinionated. That's my problem. Uh, that that at least it's been in this industry because the industry's full of guys that have a lot more experience, a lot. But they hear guys like me, and and there, there's been worse and there's been less worse. I mean, I'm I'm I've said things that I shouldn't have said and, and done things that I should have done. But I've all I'm just I've always been that independent, opinionated guy. If, if I don't like what you say, I'm gonna tell you. Whether it, it means you have no experience, I have no experience in the subject or not. If I know something, even well, if hell, it's that's one, all I do in the group chat all day. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, you don't have any experience on sheep when you were telling. Texas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but Tammy's good on the goats. <laughs> <laughs> but 
you know, if, if I know something, if I've done something and I know something can do with it, nobody in the world, I don't care how much you argue with me, yes, sir. nobody in the world is going to tell me that it can't be done because I've done it. So I, I will argue all day with somebody, even if I don't, let's say I get in your tractor and I go through a mud puddle that just you wouldn't believe. I mean, mud's going over the cab. And I know everything. And somebody says, you can't run a tractor like that. It's gonna, it'll dive in the mud puddle. And if I did it, I don't give a shit what you say. I did it. I know it'll do it. So I've always had that opinion. But anyway, so I get in this job. And I work. And, uh, and I'm working for this guy. And so we go through um, May and then June and July. And we're, there's two pilots. There's a third-year pilot and me being a rookie. And the third year pilot, he's moved from the 402 to the 602, and uh, and I went from the 250 to the 402, and we're spraying. And I just every day I try to do better than the other guy because I'm just competitive. I say if I shine better than him, if I spray, you know, it ain't about speed. But I always told myself if I can just do a little faster than him, do a little better than him, then I'm gonna shine and I'm gonna get more work because that's just the way I think. It's an it's you know we get paid by the acre. So when the plane ain't in the field spraying, if it's in a turn, I'm not making money. If it's on the ground, I'm not making money. The only time that I'm making money is when that money handle's open and the stuff's coming out of the boom. So I just, every day I told myself, I'm going to be competitive. I'm going to go. I'm going to push myself a little bit harder today than I did yesterday. Oh, I only flew seven hours yesterday. Let's see if I can hold my concentration for another hour. Let's do, see if I can make this landing better than last. Let's start challenging myself every landing. Hey, I'm going to land a little shorter, a little shorter, a little shorter. See if I can take a little, little less, a little less every time, you know. Take a little more chemical every time, a little more load. That's just me. I just I know other guys that do it, and if if I've seen somebody do it, I can tell myself I might not can do it now, but I'm going to work my ass off until I get to that point because if they can do it, it can be done. So I'm flying and flying and flying. Well, finally, my boss just gets his wild hair up his ass, and and uh, thank God he did because it opened up a lot of doors for me. But so we're going along through into the summer, and um, him and the other pilot just hadn't really got along all year, and uh, you know they. It, it, the guy that I was working with, he's a great guy. He had flown thrushes, and thrush is a different manufacturer than air tractor. There's two two main air, or ag plane manufacturers. That's thrush, which are made in Albany, Georgia, and air tractors made in Albany, Texas. They fly different. Thrush flies like a tank all day long. It's solid. It never gets, at least from you know, I'm talking from 115 hours. I don't have a lot of time in thrushes, but most people say it just it it feels more it's it's a more dynamically stable airplane than an air tractor an air tractor is fast and that's it's that's just perfect that, i guess that's that's the thing that makes it perfect is it is so fast that you can you can just get stuff done it's on the edge it's like driving a honda civic versus a vet they both get the job done in the vet you're taking curves you're hauling ass you're on the edge of fucking up if you do something stupid where and, and and it's not forgiving that corvette you get going too fast on a curve i mean there's only so much it can do same thing with an air tractor the thrush now this is kind of where everybody kind of says the thrush is just it, it it's a lot more forgiving of mistakes whether or not that's true i don't know but for my 115 hours in a thrush out of 2500 hours of, of flying in my career it's um you know it's it's something that has kind of come up to the point of what we, you know, we, we determined that thrush is just a little more stable. But anyway, so he had come from a thrush and he went into the air tractor. And they say that it's just, it's such a different feeling. You're going from something pretty stable and then you get into something like an air tractor. It just, 
it takes some guys some time to get used to it, you know. Just It's just a new airplane. Well, I was a dumb rookie, so I never really – I guess I just kind of always thought it was going to be shitty and it's always going to be uncomfortable and on the edge. I just never knew any different. Well, when he went three years of working in a plane that's pretty stable and gets into an uncomfortable one, he's uncomfortable and it takes him a lot longer than – me, I guess, as just a dumb guy who didn't know what any of them flew like and just thought that that's how it was. So him and my boss had never really had had a good time because my boss just said it, it, he, burnt, he burnt more fuel per hour than needed, I mean, way more, you know, and he said he said he's t- making these huge turns. You know, it's, he didn't want us to make dangerous turns, but there's a point when you're just making, yeah, you know, yeah. It's, where you're taking a mile. 60 you're, feet in a tractor versus 30 feet. Yeah, you're, you're taking a mile turn when you don't necessarily need it and you can still make safe turns. But anyway, so that, that was his complaints. Well, finally, he gets this wild hair up his ass and he said, hey, let's see if we can get you insured in a 602. That's a shitload of, I mean, we're going from a, the plane I was flying had 585 horsepower. It was 400-gallon airplane I was hauling, you know, all day. We'd, we'd haul 385, 390 which is still a lot on that airplane, but I just knew people that could do it. The other pilot would never haul that much, which he was smarter, let's just be honest, is because he had experience. I didn't. I just thought I was trying to impress my boss, and I thought, okay, if he can do it, if somebody else can do it, I'm going to do it. And I just learned how to do it. Well, so he just got to the point, he said he gets this wild hair up his ass. He said, hey, you know, I only have like six or 700 hours. I didn't even have that. Yeah, 600 or 700 hours total time at this point. And... Um, and he said, or maybe, maybe maybe a little more, but not, not a ton. I mean, I was still under. He said, hey, let's see if uh, if we can get you on insurance in a 602, which is 1,100 or it's 1,050 uh, horsepower, 630 gallons. It's a beast. Five-blade prop. It, I mean, it's just, it's going from, uh, you know, we're a 402, and now that I have experience in 502, they're like driving a freaking race car. And you get a 6 and an 802, you can't drive them like a race car. They're like a fucking Mack truck. You're You're heavy. But they will eat acres if you can do it. But they are just, they're just they just a different animal. I mean, I, I know guys still to this day that won't, that won't let new pilots get into them for four or five years because they say it just takes time to, to, get, to develop a skill set to get into them to where you're not going to get yourself killed because you're getting in too far. My boss said, hey, let's call the insurance and see what they can do. And I was like, okay. So I turned in my time to him. He had, you know, we keep logbooks, just like MLB. So we have stats. I, I every takeoff, every landing, day night, um, cross country instrument, simulated instruments. I mean, it's just it's a st- statistician's game. And that logbook is my lifeline. If I lose it, which I've got copies of it, but you know, that's that's just a record, and, and it's it's just so hard to piece all that back together if if I lose it. But so he calls the insurance, and they they say, yeah, we'll put him in it. Yeah, we can do that. But your deductible is 75 grand if he screws up, which is a 10% whole value of what it was. So, you know, a $750,000 airplane, what it was. And, uh, and they said, so if he, if he has a wreck, it's 700 or 75 grand is what your deductible is. So he, he, he said, man, I just, I, that's just too high. This is on about a Tuesday or a Wednesday. He said, that's too high. I just don't, we're not going to do that. But they had already added me to the insurance. They just went ahead and added me, but he just said, we're just not gonna, I'm just not going to do that. That's just too much risk. And I was like, okay, you know, I, I understood, you know, but I mean, secretly, everybody desires to be the next thing. I, wanna, I wanted to be in the next thing. I wanted to move up the ladder. Everybody that's driving a 4,000 series John Deere or a 4960 is thinking, man, I want that 8,400. Give it to me. Come on, you know. It's just, it's just, that's just human nature when, it, when you're competitive attitude. So I'm, it, it was in the back of my mind. And I'm just sitting there thinking, God, this would be awesome if I could fly that thing. You know, I just, if he gave me the opportunity, I would not abuse the opportunity. 
Well, about Saturday coming around and him and him and I, I'm just not going to mention the guy's name, but him and, and the other pilot got into it. And that pilot went home for the weekend. And, uh, and I don't know, he just had a wild hair up his ass in there and said, hey, he said, uh, meet me at my house tomorrow and we'll, ha- we'll have lunch. And I was like, okay. We never had lunch together. I mean, we, had, we ate lunch every day at the, at the hangar. We had a lady that worked in the office that did the books and she cooked for us every day. So we ate together like a family every day, which is really cool. But I'd never been over to his house to eat with him and his wife. And he said, come on over. So he made me a steak and we got over there and he said, hey, he said, um, he said, you know, he said, I've been thinking a lot about this. And he said, uh, he said, you know, I haven't really ever had a guy come through like you that's just kind of handled everything the way you have. He said, you, you've just taken to it like a glove. And he said, uh, he said, I tell you what, let's get done eating and we're going to go fly that 602. You're going to go do it. And I was like, oh, okay, so I'm sitting here getting nervous as shit. I'm like, okay, you know, he, damn, this is a... And I knew because I, I, he had told me what the insurance said, and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, if I fuck this thing up, that's 75 grand. That's a lot of money. That's going out on a limb for you. That's, that's going out <laughs> on a limb for me. And um, so we get done eating, and I'm just I'm shaking, but I'm, I'm excited too because Coach just called my number. It's the bottom of the ninth. We're getting our asses kicked, but the bases are loading, and I can win the game. And he said, he said, it's your time. So all the way back to the airport, I'm just sitting there thinking, this is it. This is that moment. This is that moment that's going to make my career. Am I going to do a good job or am I not? It might not have been that serious in the realm of things, but in my mind, this was that moment. This was, this that, was the, this was the make or break it point. You know, and I'm out on the limb, so I'm like, okay. I get in the airplane. He looks at me, and he goes, okay, so we're we're start out slow. He said, go flat for an hour. He said, so... Let's just you know, just calm down because I'm. He can tell I'm just kind of I'm I'm on the edge there. I'm shaking, but I'm I'm happy. I'm saying, yeah, let's go. He said, just be careful. And then them words, I mean, in my mind, they just hung hollow, and I just kept thinking about this the whole time. And I'm just sitting there thinking, son of a bitch, this guy's taking a big chance at me. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, get off the wing. I got to close the door before you change your mind. So he gets off the wing. I freaking put the prop in. I go out, get on the runway, and I give it fucking berries i didn't even think about it just gave it to it start going down the runway i get off the ground and then it hits me what he just said be careful i'm sitting there thinking oh shit like this is this 75 grand on the line if i fuck up you know most accidents if you look in the faa it's under and that's why the insurance minimums were the way they are was uh at his it was 2,000 ag hours or two and, and plus 200 hours in type which would be a 602. So I had time in a 402 and a 250. I didn't have any 602 time. So he had to actually name me on the policy. But the open pilot policy, they say it takes 200 hours in an airplane to get comfortable. Once you get past the 200 hours, they're not saying it's not, you're not going to have an accident, but you're more accident prone in your first 200 hours than any, any airplane. Even the most experienced pilots in the world, if they put them in a new airplane, they say their most dangerous time is in that first 200 hours in an airplane. So it, the, the gravity of the situation hit me as I'm taking off. And I sit there and I think, you know, okay, so the, the nearest airport that I actually felt comfortable going to because we didn't have radios was Seagraves because my boss had a, had a uh, he has a hangar there. And um, anyway, um, so I, I start heading to Seagraves and I'm like, you know, if I'm going to go over there and if I'm going to screw up on one of these first landings, I do not want to be at, at, at our home base. I don't want him to see it. I don't want to know. Well... Just by a stroke of pure luck, I don't like wheel landings, and a wheel landing in a, in a tail dragon aircraft is where the, the front two mains touch before the real real wheel does. A lot of guys love them. I don't because they always scared me. Because it, once you touch down, it 
you got to be on the controls. Whereas when you three point it, you stall the airplane right above the ground where it just, when, when you stall, it's when there's, there's not a sufficient air flowing over the wing to hold it up. It just falls like a rock. So when he hits the runway, you're done flying for the most part. I mean, you still have to be on, on your pedals because you can go off the runway or whatever, but wheel landings have just always scared me. In, in flight school, I would not do them. My last landing in flight school with a guy named Robert McCurdy, just, I mean, a guy full of knowledge in a dual seat thrush and a turbine transition, he said, let's do a wheel landing. And in the front seat, I'm sitting there thinking, this is, I just don't like doing this. We come back, we made the prettiest wheel landing. I get out on my buddy's like, man, that's the prettiest landing. And, I just said, hey, yeah, hell yeah, it was. And in the back of my mind, everybody didn't know this, but I wasn't about to be that guy that tells everybody. But he made that landing. I did. I, I mean, I was just kind of holding on for dear life. He did it. I just, I was too, I don't know. I just, I had a, a, a moment where I just kind of got scared. And he, he finished it, but it looked beautiful. But it wasn't me. So when I land in Seagraves, I make the most beautiful wheel landing coming in. And it, I'd never done that before. And so it kind of surprised me. You know, and I'm just like, oh, wow, that was that was pretty good. And the problem is, when you go to asphalt versus where we had our strip out by Hobbs was a mile of caliche. Mm. As, asphalt, well, it was great, but asphalt is not forgiving. Caliche, you can slip and slide a little bit, and the airplane will kind of stay. When you hit asphalt, if you hit it wrong, it it grabs. Mm. So I went, stupidly, this is, this is going back to where I say I made a terrible decision, but I didn't know no better. I should have never went over there because I landed on asphalt. My first landing in that airplane, when I had an opportunity to land somewhere that I could have had a little more forgiveness, but I just went straight to the hardest thing, basically, that I could have done. Didn't know okay, it. But it go home, pretty much. So I went over there and I flew it for an hour. Come back. Make a good landing back there. And basically, said, <coughs> you want to haul some water? And I said, hell yeah, let's load it up. So we go up to like 300 gallons, which is not, in, in that airplane, 300 is not really like putting a load on it. So you don't, I mean, it, it's a little bit different, but it's not really much different because it just has so much damn power. So I go out there and I make some spray passes with it and get used to the GPS. Land, he goes, you want to take more? I said, yeah. And so we went to uh, 400, which is a little bit more. And then we went to 500 when I come back. And then at 500, we started going up in 25-gallon increments. We went to 500, to 525, to 550, to 575, and then I took a full load on my first day in that airplane. I took that full load, and I sat in there just spraying back and forth. I took off, and that thing was heavy. I mean, you're talking, what, uh, 2,500 pounds of water? Which, that's... that's that well, was, airplane. Uh, in oh, airplane. airplane. That's, yeah. that's, that's quite a bit. And, and, and it felt like it. I mean, it feels like a, taking off in a Mack truck, you know? And... Uh, you got to be real gentle in your turns. But anyway, so I work into it, and then at the end of the load, you know, I'm just getting after it, man, making tight turns, and I don't don't know why. I just I was flying what my comfort level was. And when I got to that point, I started thinking, oh, it's like the 402. So I was just pulling around. Everything was great. Didn't really have no problems. I landed, and he said, hey. He, I get out of the airplane. He said, hey, that's probably good for today, you know. And then I was like, okay. So I landed. I shut the airplane down. Finally starting to calm down a little bit, and I get out, and he slapped me on the back. He said, you're a wild man. I mean, it, it, then it hit me. I was like, holy shit, I just did this. You know, I, I just did it. I'm a rookie kid, and I just did this. And, um, but anyway, so, you know, it was just a, it was a swing for the fences moment. But I'd done a lot of things. Well, anyway, so I got done with that season, and I went to work for uh, a chemical company at another location. I had left him and, and went on. We had some other things that happened, and, and, uh, and I just felt that, it was best that I moved on. Might not have been the right decision at the time. You know, everybody second, even second guess at the end of the day, but it was a decision I made and we went on. Um, about three months into my second season, 
after all that, you know, I guess somewhere in there, I didn't, unbeknownst to me, but I started kind of thinking that I had this all figured out. You know, I got it figured out. I'm in Dodge City, Kansas. The last day is a week after Mother's Day. I just started dating Lori like five months before. And, uh, and so I'm ready to get home. I hadn't seen her. I've been in Dodge City for 53 days spraying weed. And, uh, and I just wanted to get home. And it was the last three loads of the day, complacent. My, my bags were packed in the airplane. I was going home to see my girlfriend and Charlie. I was just excited. And, uh, and I got a little complacent. I sprayed by house. And anyway, I come by this house and, and I sprayed the whole field. And I got a little rattled because there was trees in the par- part of the corner where the map didn't show. And I was spraying Cimarron Plus, and I didn't want to. I want to kill these trees, you know. So I called my boss, or the guy I was working with, um, who's a, a good mentor of mine and, and a friend of mine still to this day. He he gave me a chance when he really would never give other people a chance, and uh, he saw that I did quality work because I just I will not do shit work that's not in my blood. I'm not going to do it if I can't do it right. Anyway, so I, I call him and I say, Hey, what do I need to do? I said these trees are here. I can't blah 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 i'm circling the top of this house there's a house and it's an l-shaped pasture the house is on the bottom of the l or on the top of the l but on the on the bottom part of the l you know so it's just like this and this house is right here and these trees are right here and i'm circling over this house and i'm looking at this house because i know that i got it there i'm pulling up over these power lines that were running like this and then there's the house and i know there's one pass behind them power lines that i had to pull up and keep continuing to go up because there's this house so i need to get that pass right in front of that house but the lines were running east and west and I was like okay so I was going to come in there east and west and parallel the lines so I get off the phone with him and I've sat there and circle this house and there just was something off and I couldn't quite place it but I knew where that line was and then there was a set of power lines coming into the back side of this house and I said okay that's where the house gets its power I'm comfortable knowing that that's where the wires are I didn't see any other wires there's big oak trees and a windmill in the front yard, and I'm spraying in a wind farm of the wind generators. So there's, I mean, all kinds of stuff that I'm just trying to watch out for. Well, anyway, so finally I hang up the phone with him, and 10 seconds later I make a turn, and I dive right in front of that house, and about a quarter second before I hit the wire, I saw the wire coming right at me, and I said, oh, fuck. Went right through it. Mm. Snapped it in half, hit it with the prop, about a foot, a foot and a half from the propeller, from the center of the... The, uh, the airplane went through the prop and slapped the back of the cockpit ripped a bunch of nozzles off it, the, the cable actually broke the uh, the on off switch the power switch to my pump so the pump brake is just it's just an AC drive clutch when you energize it it stops it when you under energize it the, pa- the, the fan starts windmilling you know and, and that's how it gets its pressure well it broke the wire I couldn't shut the pump off I got simmer on there's trees there's wheat I got roundup in there too and there's wheat all around I mean, we're spraying pasture, or no, I didn't think I'd round up. But anyway, whatever else I had in there is going to kill this wheat, just dead in the door now. And uh, anyway, I'm just sitting there. I don't know what to do. I can't get the, I can't get the stuff to come, stops coming out of the booms. I'm flying around. I'm trying to dodge these windmills. I just hit a wire. I know there's something definitely wrong with the airplane. I can't tell. My adrenaline's just surging because, you know, it's like, shit, if this thing, if, 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 if this thing fall, fails on me, then I'm screwed, you know? Yeah. And I'm looking for a place to land just in case the engine... Because wires are tricky. Never, ever are two wire strikes just exactly alike. Sometimes, man, and in, in, in my career now, I've, I've hit three. I've hit one power line with the prop, which was the first one. The second one I caught with the tire didn't do any damage to the airplane. It was a dead wire, luckily. And, uh, and the tire split. It didn't break any nozzles off. Don't really know how that happened. And the third one, 
I didn't even hit the wire. I just rolled my tire across it, pulling up over a telephone pole and knocked it out of the insulator. Didn't snap the wire. It just fell off the insulator. But I've had guys that's hit, when I hit that one dead with the prop, I've had a buddy that hit one half the size, you know, or, or in a better place that you would have thought, and it took him to the ground about to kill him. Airplane caught on fire when it landed. So they're all tricky. But anyway, so I'm sitting there in my mind thinking, oh, God, i got to get back to the airport. I call my mentor on the phone. Hey, I just hit a wire. I can't get the stuff to come out of my – or stop coming out of my booms. There's an emergency valve. It's got a cable. It's just a triangle, like a uh, just a, a triangle piece of metal with a long cable that goes out inside on the front side of the, the gate box of the airplane. There's just a little butterfly valve, and you pull that thing, and it shuts. There's no opening in the flight. So if you seal that hopper, you have to land with a load, which is hard because those airplanes – while they're designed to take off with the load, yeah. they're not designed yeah. to land with them. Yeah. And landing with a load, and I've I've landed a lot more with a load than I ever would have thought in my career. I mean, you know, there was last year I landed seven or eight times, one time in the dark with no runway lights with a load because salesmen screw up and they don't tell you what's all around the field and then you get there and you realize you can't spray it and I just all kinds of stuff. Stuff happens. But it's it's not something that I thought I'd be doing regularly until I got into herbicide country, which is basically since I've been in my career, ninety percent of all I've ever done is herbicide. I've never you know, guys that break out up north, it's fungicide. If you spray it on something it ain't supposed to, so be it. Out here if I spray the wrong thing, it kills it. Uh-huh. And it's this is just a challenging area to break out in. And because uh, there's always every corner of every field, there's something to kill. And it's just how it was. Well, anyway, so I have to go land with this. Well, I pull that valve, and I feel the I feel I don't feel anything. And I'm like, okay, that was weird. And so I keep pulling, and I keep pulling, and I finally pull this like 10 foot cable, and the whole thing comes in the cockpit, and the end severed. It burned it. When I hit that wire, it arced over and, and frayed the cable. <laughs> so I couldn't shut it off, and I'm just freaking out. And he said, hey, he said, get up to 500 feet. Because if you get up high enough, you know, the stuff coming out of your boom, maybe it won't make it to the ground. Maybe it'll disperse or, you know, the, the sun. Because there wasn't a lot flowing out, but there was enough. And um, anyway, he said, maybe it'll, you know, just kind of evaporate before it ever hits anything. So I get up to 500 foot and he says, find the first pasture you can find and dump the load there. Make sure there ain't no houses around, but find the first one and dump it and come back to the airport. So I'm looking, man. And, you know, you'd ask me before if, if there was any p- pasture around. No, it was wall-to-wall wheat. And then the one time you're looking for the pasture, there is no pasture to be found. And I'm sitting, I mean, I'm looking for five, six miles. I'm 500 foot, and I can see, and I can't see a pasture anywhere. I would have killed the cheap wheat. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just sitting there thinking, okay, I don't know what to do. I'm dragging this chemical. So for like seven miles at 500 foot, I'm dragging chemical. Just freaking dragging it 500 foot. It's just, I mean, it wasn't a lot coming out, but it was some. And in the back of mind, you're thinking, okay, well, finally, I found uh, a um, a place, and I found it, and it's right about four miles from the airport. So I dove down, I dumped my load, I get up, I fly over to the airport. He's on the phone with me. He said, "Do a flyby so I can make sure your landing gear is still there, because this has happened where guys come back, they don't have landing gear." I mean, I felt it. It felt like somebody took a rope and yanked it when I hit that wire. I mean, it stopped me in my seat for, for half a second, and then it let go. So. I don't really know. I can't see what's underneath it. So he, I fly over to the airport. He call or we're talking. He goes, "Okay, your landing gears are good. Come on, land." You know, my mind wasn't right. I was thinking I was, I was there. You know, there's a chain reaction of getting up to one of these accidents. I was startled. I was startled because my map didn't show the trees there. I got on the phone to to think about it. I was rushing because I wanted to get home to see my girlfriend. I mean, there's three, four, five things in a row that just 
became complacent, and I went through that wire. I should have known. There was something in my body. I, I circled the house five or six times, and I knew there was something wasn't right. What had happened is there was a one branch off that wire that I'd been working east and west, and I didn't see it because the telephone pole was under a tree. I mm. couldn't see it. Mm. And it was going to a cow well in the front yard. Mm. It wasn't even to the house. So I was right about the power coming to the backside of the house, but I hit that thing, went right through it, never even saw it. And, you know, usually when a wire branches off, you got a guy wire. Most of the guy wires have a yellow cover on it. Well, that one had got hit by a shredder a few weeks later or before that or something, and the, the yellow guard was gone, so I couldn't see the wire. Just a whole bunch of things added up in this sequence of events, and it ended up doing this. So like I said, well, what I'm getting at with this is I landed safely, did about $65,000 of damage the insurance had to pay for. It. Yeah, because when it arcs in that engine, then that engine has thrust bearings, and there's five or seven of them. I can't remember exactly. But the engine is grounded into itself, and when you hit a hot wire, it arcs through that engine, and it hits that bearing. And that bearing's like 40 grand. Gosh. And so they have to tear down the entire engine to get to this bearing, but it's like a $40,000 bearing. Huh. Or something like that. It's, 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 it's just astronomical. Everything with that turbine engine, you know, that engine on the front of the plane is half a million dollars, you know, for a new one at, at, at a minimum. Anyway, so long story short with this going back, looping back around to where I, my day in Texas Ag is – Sometimes you don't want to go under wires, but a lot of times it's a lot safer because you can keep your eye on the wire. You can see the wire go over you. When, when I pull up over a wire, like when I hit that one or when I hit, when I hit the second one, I knew the wire was there. I knew it. I saw it. As I was pulling up, I lost lift, and I fell into the wire. I was heavy. It was hot outside. I sprang around up. Had a full load, 480-something gallons on it at this point in the field. It just it was heavy. When I pulled, the airplane started climbing up, and then it hit a dead pocket of air and went right into the wire. Mm. So the problem is I can't see. All I can look at is my peripherals, and I can see the power lines coming along. So when I'm pulling up, you can't see the bottom side. So sometimes it's just safer to go under the wire. Well, So I shared this video on my day in Texas Ag, spraying Pima cotton down south of Big Spring, Texas, and um, – I went under the wire. There's two wires. There's a long cross-country wire sitting in front, and I, I went under it. you got to work around the poles. And then on the other side, there's a short wire. So you go under the tall wire, and then you pull up over the short wire. And this thing, in three days after I posted it, had 48,000 views. I'd never had that in my life. Didn't, didn't even the, the, the publisher of the page had to tell me about this. I'm sitting there thinking, shit, man, that's a lot of people seeing what I, what I see. And so... I've always tried to, um, I guess, coming from a point where I thought I, I guess I, I thought I had it made, and then that, that was the most humbling thing in the world when I hit my first power line, because then I realized I'm not what I think I am, and and I don't have this figured out. That 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 was the biggest. I mean, I sat in my hotel room. I was depressed for three days because I didn't. I had no way to get home, so I had to stay up there another two weeks until somebody drove up there to pick me up because my plane had to go to the shop. So I had to wait for somebody to come pick me up in Dodge City, Kansas, and I'm just sitting there in my hotel room every night thinking, I fucked up. That was, I could have, I could have been killed. I, I did something that I should have done. I should have saw that wire. I should have known that my body was telling me, don't go there, don't go there, don't go there. So, you know, it's, uh, there's a lot of decisions that you have to make that you don't understand the gravity of them. In my business, because you're flying, we're flying around at 140 to 150 miles an hour spraying, sometimes faster, sometimes slower. I, you know, depending on what planes you fly and, and all that, but you're making split second decisions that are life and death. I mean, that's the honest truth. If you screw up, if you, it, 
once you commit, and that, that's the thing with wires, once you commit to going under a wire, you're committed. It, you can't. If you change your mind at the last second and pull up, you're going straight under the wire. It's going to kill you. I mean, it's just, you know. It, so when you're a young kid, a kid like me who's swinging for the fences, doesn't know no better, you know, it's, uh, it, it's a whole different ballgame. It's kind of like uh, y'all, y'all guys have ever seen Kids of the Game, Kevin Costner. That's one of my favorite movies. At the end of it, what does he do? He sends that young rookie kid that doesn't understand the gravity of the situation he is to go out there and try to get a hit off the guy. And what's he do? He goes out there and swings for the fences. That's me. I didn't understand the gravity of, of the decisions that I was making until after I made the wrong one, and it almost, I mean, it bit me. Luckily, I walked away from it, but a lot of guys have it. Even the, the most experienced guys. I mean, guys, thousands of hours of experience. So there's no – they've done studies. I mean, yeah, rookie pilots in their first 200 hours or just anybody really in the first 200 hours of flying a new airplane are, you know, there's accident prone. But there, it's not like a – you know, there's not really a, a, a thing where it's like, oh, all the rookies are having the accidents. Oh, it's all the experienced guys having the accidents. It, it happens all across the board. Every it's just year. like farm safety anywhere. Anyway, we get we make mistakes every day. We know better than the shit we do. Playing around PTOs, yeah, all kind of stuff. We we know better than to do. We talked about how dangerous highlight jacks are. Everyone in this table has got an accident with a uh, highlight jack. Yep, yep. I've got stories. I watched the guy chop his finger off. Hmm. I think the worst is the steps on a John Deere or any tractor when you take that first step and you miss one. Oh Oh, yeah. Oh oh, no, it's just like that on the airplane. And there's been many times where I'm like. I, you know, I kind of half-ass sprinting to get back in the airplane because I, I like being efficient. I don't. If the moment that hose comes off the airplane, I'm, I'm, I'm out of there because I'm not making any money. Well, we I want to be. We get so used to. You get complacent. You, you get so comfortable doing it a yeah, thousand times before, and, and it's that one time. one time when you screw up, yeah. and and unfortunately in aviation. That one time could be your last, you know. Yeah, whereas there ain't, there ain't no margin in there. Yeah, I mean, and huh. I, I know it's just as bad with with farming. I mean, PTOs, pivot fault, anything you could do at any time could you could <coughs> screw up. But at least like in a car, if you screw up, something happens. You're gonna pretty much walk away from it. Maybe usually. you know a yeah. lot of times. Yeah. Whereas I'm I'm crashing <laughs> in the ground at 150. <coughs> Odds aren't really in my favor, which they're. They're, they're, them planes are built pretty I mean I've seen guys, I've seen accidents where guys shouldn't have walked away from and they did like the one the other night mm-hmm. that yeah that was a bad two one. people mm-hmm. two people in the same airplane one I'm not strapped in should have never walked away from that and they did and I've seen airplanes that look brand new they were just looked like the gear fell off of them and the guy's dead it's, I mean you can't believe it and um but anyway so I just I, I, I always try to you know try to share what what we see in our side like there's a lot of things you know from a from a farming aspect and that's the greatest thing i've done both sides of my job i've, I've been that's on the cool. side calling somebody to spray for us and i've been on the side of the guy getting called so i see both sides of it i want to do a good job i'm the same kind of guy i just i know when i was farming if people missed weeds under power lines or whatever i mean we understand but you want it done right you're paying for a service it's got to be right yeah. If it ain't right, you're going to find somebody else to do it. But on the same side, whereas I'm lucky, I see both sides of it because I know what I can, and, you know, I'm getting to the point now. I, I yeah, I, I know my limitations. I know what, what corners that I, I mean, there, there's just sometimes I just can't. There's just, there are certain tools for certain jobs, and the airplane ain't always the best tool for a job. 
it's it's a great tool. I mean, man, we can do stuff with an airplane that you can't do with a ground rig. We can get covers. I mean, ground rigs you run five five gallons an acre. Most guys before now it used to be ten, and I get better coverage with two gallons an acre than you can with ten, and it looks better, better kill. Wondering what your rate usually. Well, is. most of our stuff's three to five, um, but I mean, I've, I've you know, I've done two gallon work a lot of two gallon work the last three years. Tank? How big is the tank on your? Uh, right the one I'm, I'm flying a 502 now, so it's 490. I, I, about the so most you can fit. Still not covering that much ground for you. You have to constantly no, go yeah, out so, and fill up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm wrong. 200 and something at two gallons. At two gallons at a 502, yeah, you're you're what 250, mm-hmm. 250 acres. And a six, I was doing 315. Oh, it was nice. Yeah. Make some money. That's a lot of acres. Make some money. I yeah. can, you know, Versus dollar. 80 in our rigs. Yeah. What well, now when we get to five down work and it's 502 and a 602, I could carry a full circle. That's what the whole thing was designed for. The guy who broke me out. So the cool thing about it is I flew an Air Tractor 250, the only one ever made. Only one. They had designed it. The feds took forever to supplement it. But this was back in the in the early days of the crop crop dusters when they it started becoming a really big thing and everybody wanted small airplanes. You could get in a lot of fields. And uh, so they built it to compete with the Piper Pawnee and the Braves. And, uh, but the FAA drugged their feet on certifying it for 10 years. And by the time it got certified, nobody wanted it. Everybody wanted the big planes. So it, they only made one of them. And it got donated to some, or some guy bought it and had, a, had, had it up north. And then the guys working for it bought it. So I flew the only one ever made. I'm, a ha- I'm, I'm one of a handful of guys that ever sprayed a paying load in the only Air Tractor 250 ever made. And that's cool. It's in that my is cool. Well, the boss that I was working for, he is one of the main ones that got Air Tractor to start building the 602. That was the last model, except for the 1002 now, which is a thousand-gallon airplane they're working on. They've got one; they just don't have an engine big enough to pull it. It's for firefighting. That's what their the main purpose of the whole thing was to firefight. But they don't have an engine that produces over 2,000 horsepower in the PT6 series that can carry the weight as good as they wanted to. But he had he was the. Their tractor went from the, they had the 300, the series, the 400 to 500, and the 800. They didn't have a 600. Well, the guy I was working for, he went to Air Tractor with a handful of other guys from around this area and said, we do a lot of five-gallon work, and we have 120-acre circles, and we want to be able to do it in one load. So they, they brought out the 602, which is 630 gallons. You got a 30-gallon rinse tank, so I had 660 gallons worth of product that I could carry, um, plus fuel. And uh, anyway, so I flew the first 602 they ever made. My first 602 that I flew was the first one ever made. Hmm. That's pretty cool. So I got to fly the only Air Tractor 250 and the first 602 ever to hit the production. Wow. That's, wow. that's pretty cool. That yeah. is cool. But, uh, but, you know, you get into like the um, – when we get into five-gun work with a 602, I can do a full circle. Well, man, most of the time I'm doing 95 acres of load at five-gallon, so it just takes forever. I mean, it does good work. It just takes forever. But a lot of guys, the the the, the people that push for the more, yeah, I'm telling you, I can do better work, lower volume. And they proved it. There's studies. That's why, like, some of these fungicides in corn country have been labeled now for two gallons an acre is because they went out with UV dye, sprayed it during the day, and went out there at night with a black light. And the coverage levels from two to five, the actual the uniformity of the droplets in two gallons an acre is, is such a, a, a great... I guess it, it's just such a great pattern yeah, compared to, yeah, well, it's not really real fine, but it's just uniform. Hmm. Whereas when you get to a five gallon, you've got little different drops. When you get to 10 gallon, which I did a lot of 10 gallon work my first year doing chilies, chili peppers with an airplane. 60, six, well, I don't know, 600 in the Seminole, Texas. 
he, he was a big time chili grower out there and we sprayed in Van Horn and all around um, Hobbs and um, wow what's the, what's the name of that town north of Hobbs northeast Loving Loving Lovington so I sprayed all over but you, you know you're going out there I'm, I'm flying a 600 gallon airplane I'm going out there with a 60 acre load full plum loaded 10 gallons an acre That's but man you get fine drops and you get these big old heavy coarse drops it's not uniform yeah. But when you get to two gallons, man, it's just it's freaking uniform. But the problem is, guys that push these products like to sell adjuvants, and you only need a certain number of adjuvants. So what do they do to make a little more money? They get you to bump the rate up. Hey, we need to run five gallon. Hey, we need to run eight gallon. We need to run ten gallon. Oh, you should do it with this ground rig and do a lot better job. Twenty gallons an acre. Mm-hmm. But the point being is, when I, I guess what I'm getting at is, I, any people here, especially y'all or anybody listening, when you're just talk to your local aerial guy. See what he, what his limitations are, what he can and can't do. It's easier to understand. It's easier to know and not have to wonder what he can and can't do because he'll tell you. Most of the time, I won't tell you I can do something because I'm not going to make myself look bad. If I can't do it and make it look good, I don't want to do it. And I don't want to, you know, but sometimes I get forced in a situation. Guys turn in stuff that just ain't really fit for an airplane. There's a lot of it that is, but there's sometimes, you know, like there's one field that I sprayed last year. It's a field from hell. <laughs> had power lines on four sides and a windmill in the middle. And the power lines were tall ones with little wires underneath, so you couldn't go underneath them. Even the tall, because they were tall, I thought, oh, I could go underneath them. And then you get there, and they got these little house delivery lines, and I'm not going under those. That's just, ain't, it ain't worth it. So there's just corners in that thing that you are never going to get with an airplane. It's just, it is not possible to safely get it. And uh, so I guess just... How high can you be to let that stuff down if there's no wind? Yeah, I mean, man, it'd be pretty low, don't I, you? Well, I mean, if you're in that situation, no, you just you go know, up a little higher and a lot of, safer. And... You can, but still, even then, when you're talking, these power lines are 300 feet, so you got to start a climb pretty early oh, on okay. the field. Yeah, I mean, they're tall. They're the windmill generator lines, okay. so I mean, they're they're pretty tall. Yeah, but two can put out stuff at what 18 feet up, 20 feet. Oh up, hell, you can do it with any of them, man. I, I I'll tell you this: so it's, some, the bigger the plane, the more. Down pressure, yeah. Right. I mean, it, man, I, I put out stuff, and I, I'll tell you this. So this is one of the, the misconceptions. Now, I just fly low. That's I know guys like to see it. It's not necessarily the best. Pattern testing has come a long way. We the, the About the most optimum to, for an airplane to fly, fly boom height is 8 to 12 feet above the canopy. So hmm. that's pretty high. I mean, that's not wheel dragging by any means. And uh, but a lot of farmers, like some of the guys that I spray for now, they they put it on there. They say we want you low. We think that people flying higher has caused this stuff not to work, which is not always the case. Now, I mean, I know guys that fly telephone pole height, and it looks bad. But I can tell you from experience, there was one field that I sprayed my first year, and sometimes it's one of them things where it's just not a good fit for an airplane. It was a, it was spraying mesquite, and uh, there were 17 power lines in this field. Going to it's it's down in uh, south in Gaines County down there in the oil patch. They're all going to these little oil wells, but there's so many wires. And in my mind, I'm sitting there thinking I can't drop down and get like I want to because I'm going to lose track of one. There's too many to count. You know, one, two, even three lines. After about three, it's kind of tough to remember where they all are, and you're going to end up screwing yourself. So I flew 500 acres at over telephone pole height. I'm not kidding you. I didn't. I didn't pull up at the telephone pole. I was at that height because I didn't want to hit a wire. And you could. I, I guarantee you could have went out there and you'd never known which direction I went, and you'd have never known that I was that high. It killed it all dead in the doornail. Okay. So on on these airplanes, um, 
not everyone has it, but the majority of them now do. It's pretty, it, it, it's an aftermarket deal, but it's now, it's such a, especially in herbicide country, it's such a, uh, a needy thing hmm. because I don't know, you know, I go off the Mesonets, but the Mesonet, which is our weather stations in West Texas run by the Texas Tech University um, system, they, uh, they tell the wind directions and stuff. Well, we spray herbicides, and for people that don't understand what herbicides do, if you get them on the stuff that they're not supposed to be on, it'll kill it. And um, the the smoker, all it is is it, it puffs mineral oil. It squirts a little stream of mineral oil into the exhaust of the airplane, which is coming out at 700 degrees Celsius. That is hot. So it vaporizes that oil immediately, and that turns it into a white puffy cloud. And so all that all it does is it hangs in the air, and it gives us a chance to watch because you can put out a line, and you can kind of watch what a, what the wind is doing as it's drifting. It kind of gives oh, you a direction yeah. and. So it's it's like you know if you're uh, if you're shooting and you throw up dirt in the air and watch which way the dirt yeah. goes, it's the same thing. Yeah. And so if you see an ag pilot doing that, either a he's checking the wind, or if you're right by the field and he keeps doing it to you, it means get the hell out of the way because we're tired of it. And we, yeah. you know, my, yeah. my boss. Or, or he's doing a flyby for a TikTok video. Or yeah, one of the two. Yeah, the there you go. <laughs> That's my favorite. That was cool. That was a really cool video. I like that. Yeah, you can't believe all the dumb comments you get on that deal. It just. But that's going back to the... Amazes you how ignorant people no, are. No, yeah, well, yeah, I'm glad you said ignorant. Not stupid, but ignorant because they don't know better. Yeah, but that's going know. back to what we were talking about earlier about the average American being three generations removed from the farm. Yep. Like you honestly think right now, man, we just ate this beef. Well, hell, okay, I've lived in here, I've lived in Bailey County the last several years. I had no clue what was going on in North Muleshoe, all the, all the empty grain elevators that are around, all the amount of... Cows you know that? that are going on. It's yeah. crazy. Wait, what? All, all these of them are elevators that are empty. Yeah, I mean, like all the old yeah. infrastructure that we don't use anymore because we yeah. don't raise Tons of cotton yeah. gin. I never knew that. that. Oh, okay. I, I thought he was talking about like some conspiracy thing going on. I was like, I don't know. I, no, it's, I've been around this area my whole life. Now. We don't. We don't believe in conspiracy theories around SAF. I hope not, anyway. But welfare <laughs> Wade follows a lot of stuff. But JFK Jr. is surely going to come back alive. That. that goat's surely and gonna Elvis, testify. Yeah. <laughs> and Hitler's still in South America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. without a doubt. Now, 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 if the, 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 the CIA the has finally perfected this animals talking thing, Tex might be in a lot of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! But uh, my stock is up for blood. <laughs> 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 oh. So it's just, uh, but it's going back to the average generator, average American is three generations removed from the farm. And you know, this stuff, like the stuff we ate tonight, the stuff that, like all this corn that Charlie and Benin, if, and I, I've sprayed all this stuff. I've done, we've planted it, we've used the genetics. If I truly, and you know, all these people say, well, Mon- Monsanto or Monsatan just doesn't tell you about this stuff. Monsatan this, Monsatan that. They just, they got us all under controls and the farmers just, they don't have any choices and this and that. But you know, if I truly didn't believe the stuff that I'm doing, if it wasn't exactly. safe, you think I would give it to my little boy? It's and like my, me my and Tanner saying, like they're we all... haven't been around it for the past 10 Man, years, I can't tell you how many, years. I can't tell you how many Roundup baths that I've taken now. Yeah. I don't have cancer. And I might get cancer what? next week, but I just don't think that it's going to be because of that. Yeah, we're all me we're saying one of these guys. You know, and the problem is, you know, it, it's going to circling back to how good it is to die young. People. But, you know, when, 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 we, when we look back in history, you know, everybody always thought, like, man, how many times did you hear, oh, he just died of old age? You really think people died of old age? 
No. They had some disease that back in the day they couldn't figure Nobody out. Nobody knew. You know, and they say, oh, well, we didn't, didn't have the cancer, cancer rates. Back then. Yeah, we didn't have the cancer rates back then. Well, no shit. They didn't know what the hell they were looking for. People were dying of old age. Yeah. Or, or we didn't have the communication between medical people. You know, like technology has hit everywhere else but the farming sector. And people we're still, we're still, age. We're finally catching up in the farming sector, sector with technology that people have been using for years, like flow control, variable rate seeding variable rate fertilizer variable rate applications i mean these things are just starting to come out and i mean every year it's something better we're producing far more commodities on far less land than any time in human history like me and tapes were talking about earlier everybody's you know bitching about these chemicals and if we didn't believe in it this shit's expensive we're not going out there dumping stuff that we don't want i mean we're we have it to a minimum of a minimum we cut cost at every point push cents on the dollar you know know, everything we grow and if we were going to be saving money on this chemical that we didn't need to be putting out we wouldn't be putting it out and the point of the matter too is is it's even that's how we've got some of our re- weed resistance is because of the the input cost and yep. guys not wanting to put we the recommended. Put the they don't put the full rate because we're trying to cut corners and then it ends up biting us and we have to find new technologies. Like now we're going There's into the dicamba. Don't put a full rate. Oh yeah, it just still happens, oh, man. Well, generic, well, okay, so generic so the, herbicides too are the problem. Well, yeah, like yes. Glystar Gly Gold. We were in Glystar Gold for years. Instead of Roundup Paramax, you go from a six pound to a four pound. We're running. That's where we eventually we make and 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 they're trying to run the same rate that they're running with PowerMax, 48 ounces just ain't gonna work we're running 64 to 70 that's ounces that's a big issue you know. people don't, i mean they're just trying to save money i don't blame them because yeah. we're broke or they but. you know and, and even some of them just don't read the label and the label is yeah. the law the label yeah. is the law and yeah. especially in my business the label is the law yeah and uh you know like right now I, i'll tell you around here in this area and i'm not trying to insult people in our area but the local co-op here and the local flying service that I may or may, may not fly at do not follow the label when it comes to Liberty. We don't put ammonium sulfate. It is it is in the label to run ammonium sulfate with Liberty. And they're running crop oil. And they're wondering why this stuff ain't killing. It's There's a reason they put this in the label. When y'all put out your Liberty, do you run Roundup and Liberty or do you fly that on separate? It depends. I mean, we've done both, yeah. but we still don't run... What do you get your best kill with? One separate? Roundup, Liberty, and, and ammonium sulfate. You know, smoke it. Roundup was the same way. How many years did we go without ammonium sulfate? Are we Oh, y'all have? Okay, so I know guys yeah, that never just, had, though. And then they check our pHs. Just get you exactly. an Amazon pH tester, stick it in your water. And you can and, tell that you're screwed you'll up. you'll be running ammonium sulfate. You know, and, and it even matters we the way you put it. we system now that we run. Now, I've heard, of, you know, that I had a buddy. Yeah. I, I had a buddy that sprayed with that, and the first year they ran ammonium sulfate with their Roundup and RO water, and they burnt their freaking cotton. Yep. Wow. Roundup-ready cotton. because That's a big difference. It, it, well, okay, so even you on your mixing order. So, how many of you guys, when you spray, do you actually follow a chemical mixing order that is set? Order? Like an order, when you're mixing chemical. Or do you just dump it all in the tank and say you're good? Okay, well, so, so... Just put your adjuvant in, mix it out, and then put your... So, there's a tanks mix calculator. I am very anal when it comes to this because I've seen... Is that where, an app? Yes, there is an app. So I'll actually, and, and we can endorse the app, can we? I mean, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. so. I'd so like to know what it is. I don't want, so I don't, I just don't want nobody podcast, to get in trouble. They ain't going to say anything. They're going to help them. But it's, um, let's see, tank. Tank mix. It's, it's called Precision <coughs> Precision Laborator, Laboratories Mixed Tank. It's just called Mixed Tank. 
And anyway, you go in there and you put your chemicals, and Can it tells you, you somehow what. Somehow, yeah, that yes, that. yes. <coughs> and uh, anyway, so like, here's one of my saved mix, mixes. Let's look at it. Let's see. View mix details. So, dry AMS, dual magnum, and Roundup Power Max. That's the order that they need to go into the water. You don't want to put take... Roundup in first. No. And, then the and so this is this is where it comes with the ammonium sulfate like, <coughs> at the place I work. And I've tried and tried, but when somebody and and I don't mean this to sound rude, but when you work for somebody who's done it for. I've done this for 50 <coughs> years. I've done this for 100 years. You're, they're not going to change. They're like the Ombre in Steagle, Texas. You yeah, they're not. They're, they're, no matter how much. The problem is you cannot, even with facts, those those convinced against their will are of the same opinion still. Is what I've yeah. already been told. And I can, I can show you like Interlock, like any of the Interlock products. You're, it's a no-brainer to run them. You can spray in 50 mile away and your sprayer stays clean. Yeah. Mm. You pull them out. Trefland, man, same thing. Yeah, and it'll just cover your Proud. Oh, it, I mean, it's, it's what, see? a buck an acre? I mean, it's it's something I've... But the point being is is the guys that have been doing, that's the problem, and, and I hate to say this. And the problem is there's too many snake oils out there. Oh, yeah, and yeah. There, there's so a lot of cutthroat stuff. Well, there's shit that really does work. Yes. But you, but it takes some work, time, and effort to figure it and out. Research, and research, yes. most people aren't going to... They just go down to your co-op. What should I spray on? You know, it's like yeah. asking your barber if you need a haircut. Exactly. Don't ever ask your co-op what you need. Exactly. And, and like, don't actually, hire a crop like, consultant that works for a chemical company. Get you an independent guy that has no horse. Well, but then, they'll yeah, try they to sell you stuff that you don't need. That's the problem. They, they sell all you more shit you don't need. Yeah, but see, I, I know, I know guys yeah. that. Well, you know, and I'm not. But I'm saying the reason why there's some independent guys that I know they they don't sell chemicals. They don't make any money you off the chemicals. You gotta be a skeptic. Yes, but they, you know, I know, I know some guys that they, they are independent crop scouts. They were my dad's. He did not sell chemical. He did not recommend for anybody. He, when he turned in his application, he asked you where you wanted to turn it in or if you were doing it yourself. A lot of the consultants always want to turn it in for you. And I'm like, no, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. shout my shit around and I'll turn yeah. it in exactly. myself. I'm but he, but he was of it. He, he just. I'm going to look at everything Because he's like on, on, on my sword room. He's like, you need to spray Sabanto. You need to spray Zeal. And crop oil with twenty eight double five on it. Damn, you put or you're not gonna okay. make a crop. Well, yeah, yeah you're not getting any. Better put more man in there too. You're looking at sixty five oh. bucks an acre. It doesn't pinch out. That ain't gonna happen. Not on a mile over sorghum crop. No, it ain't gonna. But the problem is, like I said, going back to it, though, well, my dad had a, had a real good cotton scout, and he and he didn't, uh, but he didn't recommend anybody. If you if he wanted to applicate, he asked you, where would you like me to turn this into? My recommendation, so we could do it. But he did. He would not. He was just an independent guy. He he would tell you what you need and what you didn't need because he didn't make any money more or less. He got paid by the acres he was watching. So if he did a bad job, he knew he wouldn't get your business. If you did a good job, like that. <laughs> there, there's a few up around. Him, I mean, he's gonna get fired. My deal is. Crop consultants calls you and you've already sprayed it. I mean, literally, they're like, Can you spray this and this and this? And I'm like, eh, no. And then two weeks, later, man, that did a good job. And I'm like, I didn't even spray it. You know what I mean? Or yeah. like, or I've already sprayed it. I mean, it's a, yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm riding a bigger it's, house. It's, on the, you know, it's, it's tricky. Like, Go ahead. It's like anything. You just gotta you gotta do your due diligence and value my job. So I'm not gonna do bad work because I know if I do bad work, I'm not gonna have a job. And so you just got to find guys that have the same passion for doing, you know, like, you know, a good cotton crop scout can tell you how much picks you applied. If you sprayed it, a good cotton guy can tell you. He can tell you if you got a light dose or you got a heavy dose. I mean, I'm not kidding you. They, these guys that, that hone their skill, it, it's a craftsmanship. And there's not, I'm not saying that everybody's like this, but yeah, there's yeah. like me, and I know I can tell you 100 ag pilots right now that are not the same mentality I have. They, they just want to make money. They don't care. 
But then there's guys like me that we run I into just, a lot of that, you know, like if guys you get that a field that's they don't do it worth a shit, yeah. you know. On your adjuvants, do y'all have to go and buy the book on all that part. stuff if the farmer doesn't want to add an adjuvant or something? No, I mean, I, I mean, feel like a lot of that's we, we bullshit, do too. I, they just I, want to sell more stuff. I, I, I will tell you. your best festival. Adjuvants are, are. You just got it. You got it's a, it, Like he said, it's a, it's, a, it's a process of figuring out what works. But if going back your, to the. If you run your AMS to get your. Go, buy, go on eBay or Amazon and buy you a pH meter. They're like 14 bucks. Mm-hmm. Stick it in your tank. Dump AMS into your pH. I don't know what you have, higher or low pH. Our pH is off the charts, like yeah. seven or eight. Yeah. So, so we run a lot of AMS or RO water. And, and look at that or pH. Bump. Get it down where you want it. Then put your Roundup in. <coughs> and then I always run dual mode. I'll put something else with yep. it. Just a little bit of dicamba. Hell, even with my paraquat, if, if I'm just burning shit down, Fire I'll, zone. I'll dump in a little dicamba. And people say, that doesn't do anything. Just do two zones. And then, then if... And then run run some kind of sticker like an interlock something like that and it makes a difference. The stickers help. See, but I guess going back to where we got off with the the mix tank app, there's a proper order to do things right because I'm like I said I'm I'm anal about doing a good job because I'm I'm young enough now wherever I go like in this area right now that's where I grew up I want to own a business here every application I make is is in these guys minds that one of these days when i decide hey i'm ready to go on my own i'm ready to do this i want these guys knowing this guy takes care and he cares like i had a a farmer text me always a couple months ago but he saw me trimming a pivot just the one time that he drove by and i was actually spraying but i trimmed the pivot i i trim up man i'm i'm a fan a lot of guys aren't fans of trim passes they say oh you're putting too much chemical in areas man i've never had a problem I do a good job. I'm not going to leave edges. I'm not going to leave things to chance. Just like spraying pivots, even with aphids, bugwort, herbicide. I have a feeling if it shows on bugwort or if it hurts shows on herbicide, even though I could get away with it, bugwort, why would I want to? I want to do a good job. I, I don't build any resistance in any bugs well, either. That too, but I, I'm just a, like, I, I guess I'm a perfectionist, man. I want to be known as the guy that, that did a good job. So I was trimming the pivot, and so he knew, and he said, hey, I haven't seen somebody do that in a long time. Like, it just shows that I care that I'm caring about doing a good job. It would have never shown. He would have never known that I'd done it, but he just happened to see it that day. And that's, that's just integrity, doing the right thing even when nobody's looking. But when it comes to tank mixing orders, there's all you guys that just dump stuff in, there's an actual proper deal. If you put the Roundup in before the ammonium sulfate, there was no reason to put ammonium oh, sulfate mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Because, because mm-hmm. what happens is the ammonium sulfate raises the pH or lowers the pH of the water. It bonds with the ions in the water that the Roundup, the salt in the Roundup would bond with. So what it's doing is it's tying them up before you pull the Roundup in. Because when you pour the Roundup in that water, it takes the effectiveness, a lot, some of it, huh. away from from the uh, the Roundup if you don't have ammonium sulfate. So you actually have to put the ammonium sulfate in first to tie up those ions in the water and to lower the pH. And then you put the uh, the, the Roundup in so the Roundup is, is full strength. And so that's why I always use a good quality. If, if I ever am in question of how to mix it, I go to that app. Type in what chemicals, and it tells me the proper order to mix it. It does definitely tell gonna, you. I'm definitely it does tell you. That it does, there was guys that said you could replace your entire cotton fertilizer program with Coron. You believe that? I, I had guys recommending this to growers that I worked for last year, and I I set them straight. I said, <laughs> "You mean are you it's you?" A crock. 
you can replace your program with corn. All those pounds an acre, you just do whatever. But the point being is, it's uh, it's it, but that's what some of these guys that don't care about their job, they care about making money. Yeah. If yep. you if you're good at your job, the money you'll never be worried about money. If you're good at your job and you care, mm. if you're bad at your job, you're gonna worry about money. But anyway, so uh, they would uh, they would sell some of these well, yes, water. I'm bad at my job. <laughs> they, they would sell some of these chemicals and they would sell some of these stickers that happen to be a water conditioner too but they'd tell you to put it in the at the end and i'm like okay so if you put it at the end for the sticking uh-huh. properties then why why was it a water conditioner because you're not conditioning I anything some of those dual blended ones and i don't know i never i, never I didn't did, like them i didn't see but i love you're screwing yourself one one way or the other yeah i, I never could get them i ran some of it i just couldn't it's just like putting master lock in. If you let it agitate for too long, it loses its effectiveness. So the moment we put it in, we shut the pumps off. We we put it in, we shut the pump off. We pump or we pump it in the airplane, and that's it. We don't sit there and let it agitate because you're just you're throwing away your your stickers and your you know your your uh, drift control properties. I'm a big fan of the stickers and agitates lots of oils or mm-hmm. heck, even <laughs> like if you have killing problems and, and you have let's say weed or something that you're let's say you got. Even in your hay grazer, you got a tough to kill weed. Instead of using water, I use 28005, put a little dicamba in it. Hell, you need the fertility anyways. You don't talk about killing some weeds now. So you've never burnt any weeds that way? Just you, straight 20, like what, yeah. how many gallons an acre? Just whatever you're spraying. 10, and you never burn weed leaves? You burn them a little bit, but just speckle them a little or whatever. Now, I, I will say but, this from an but, airplane side. Please do not ask your local aerial applicator to run Coron and Roundup together because the problem is is I'm going to be flying through that stuff all day and then it, it doesn't matter what drift control products I have. Coron will just hang in the air. Fertilize, liquid fertilizer. I don't mind spraying it, but I don't want to do a herbicide with that. No, that, I mean, I'd be all for putting some 28005 out with my herbicide. But like I, said, I mean, it's, it's always on a label, but I've never just. So you gonna do a fly by for us tomorrow before we leave? If I'm what? spraying, yeah, I will. I'm supposed to be spraying in the morning, so. That's how. I mean, we need like. We gotta get up. Where y'all gonna be at? What, what It'd time? be pretty yeah. cool. Stay at his house. I think so. Yeah. Uh, well, where are you gonna be? Up north or here? Well, I don't. I think it'd be pretty cool if we were all in a line and you flew right over us and we got a picture of the plane. Oh, hey, hey this is damn good hospitality. You only live, I guess. 14 miles from me if we're using your math, but I'll just start See, I like that. Okay, so let's let's just Even talk about this. Small. I'm going to start bringing you some man shit over. So let's, let's just go here real quick. I want to talk about something that's really near and dear to my heart because we're talking about this with Tex right now, and he wants to argue by going oh with my, my math. God. Okay, so there's let's just say there's there's this guy and this guy. They're sitting here at the table, right? And if I draw a number right here, I'm going to draw what looks like a six right there. He sees six. Yeah. He sees nine. Yeah. This guy, whoever it is, let's just say it was a six. But the problem with, and especially when you get into the liberal side of the people, they're going to say, well, he sees a six. He sees a nine. One person, they're like, well, both people are right because it's, it's nine from my perspective and six from mine. But the problem is I drew a number. I didn't draw a nine. I didn't draw or whatever I drew. I drew one. I didn't draw a six and a nine. I drew one number. The problem is everybody thinks, especially in the farming world, the people outside of farming, Mm -hmm. they act like their opinions are just as equally as valid as the facts. And the problem is I drew something. So go to the guy who drew the number and ask him. It's not a six or a nine. It's either a six or a nine. 
So what I'm saying is when you say by the math, you're going off of an opinion. I went off of facts. I based mine off of facts. So you're wrong. And I just want to put that out there that all these people that are arguing with farmers about the GMO and other stuff. There you go. They're coming. The people that, that don't know, don't be thinking that your opinions are just as valid as the fact-based people, especially you in the GM, anti-GMO crowds. Because the point being is I've done more organic spraying in the last four years than you would ever even realize. And just because it's organic doesn't mean that it is what they say it is. It's a marketing ploy. Mm-hmm. I have nothing against organic There's farmers. There's more my, my organic is, cotton sold than is it grown in the whole world. The, the problem is, is you get, people, you get people that think, because they, they're so far removed from the farm, but they think what they think. And all we're doing is there's, there's people in our, in our industry, and I'm not faulting them for it. My boss's son. My boss is a crop duster, and his son is an organic farmer because the money is so good. But the problem is, is they let them buy into these rumors, and it makes conventional farmers look like crap. Do I think that sometimes we do stuff we ought not to do? Yes, that's in every industry. Nothing's perfect. Nothing is ever perfect. Like running low rates of Roundup on stuff and then having resistance come out and everybody can't figure out how the hell it came about. The point being, make sure you got a fact base. If you, if you don't believe the professionals that do it every day, then who is there to believe? And that's all I got to say about that. I think it's time home. to graduate more to the other pictures. Yeah, maybe we'll get some more. Well, okay, guys. <laughs> 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 you gotta stand up. Damn, <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, I love Texas. We ought to get a good morning, Texas. God bless, guys. Have a good night. We'll catch you on the flip side. Good to be with you. SAF is out. Thanks for listening. We gone, my boy.